All right, what's going on, guys? It's your host, as always, Daniel DeBrock. Thank you so much for joining us on the Stacks Rank podcast. And today I'm sitting down with uh, Stan Efferding. This is the second time he's been on the podcast. And we're going to be talking all about constructing an optimal lifestyle for optimizing your performance in bodybuilding and strength sports. So first off, Stan, thanks for jumping back on, man. It's good to have you here. Thanks, brother. Appreciate the invite. Uh, can you give a little bit of a background just of yourself in terms of um, – you know, why people should be listening to you, basically. I know you've got a pretty extensive history, but I'm familiar. Because I'm, I'm OCD, ADHD, and I was a scrawny kid, and, and uh, I spent the last 30 years trying to figure all that out for myself. And along the way, learned a lot of lessons between exercise science in college and coaching high school soccer and the University of Oregon track and football uh, teams, and then, uh, you know, going on to work with clients and competing professionally in bodybuilding and uh, setting world records in powerlifting for uh, over 25 years. And now at 55, I'm still, I think, uh, staying pretty healthy and, and my performance is still pretty good. So I, I, uh, I kind of exceeded my genetic potential and living to tell about it. <laughs> so a couple of qualifications, not too many though. Awesome. Um, so I guess one of the places that I wanted to start was, you know, everyone kind of has a, a bit of a different starting point, essentially. So whether, you know, someone's brand new to training or whether they've been training for a really long time, a lot of the times, especially as you become better and you become more advanced, you kind of run out of things to, to really tweak and work on, especially inside the gym. And so it really starts to lead you outside. Like, what is my sleep like? What is my stress like? How's my digestion? Things like that. And so when you're working with a client, and maybe you can break this up into, or I'm not sure if you do differentiate between more, you know, beginner and intermediate versus advanced athletes, but how does that sort of conversation occur? And what sort of things are you looking for to, to kind of adjust and to optimize to really start to bolster their performance? Yeah, I mean, with beginners, I'm just trying to create a habit. You know, compliance is the science. Those folks, I just want to get them consistently in the gym training and consistently eating a sufficient amount of calories and protein and consistently sleeping. Uh, it's it's all three, and collectively, of course, the whole is greater than some of its parts. They'll see much better progress rather than investing themselves into any one of those things. And, and so I focus mostly on how do I make this convenient? How do I make it simple, sensible, and sustainable to fit their lifestyle? If they ask me when should they train, I say, when can you train? They ask me, what should I eat? I ask them, you know, what do you like to eat and when do you like to eat? And then let's just try and increase your protein and, and you know, eat more whole foods. And uh, as for sleep, I mean, that's, you know, that's difficult. Can you, um, can you reasonably get seven plus hours a night? It's a, it's a prerequisite, to be honest with you, for long-term progress in health. And um, so we mitigate some of the things that might uh, be distracting from that, you know, obviously scrolling your phone at night and next thing you know, it's after midnight before you finally fall asleep and uh, discouraging them from thinking they have to get up at 4 a.m. to do fasted cardio and in fact, the sleep would probably serve them better. And so that's my beginners. I'm just mostly trying to make it uh, fun, make it consistent, uh, make it convenient, you know, provide them and not to, and make it such that it doesn't um, negatively impact their uh, you know, their work or their family, you know, those kinds of things. So it doesn't feel like they're sacrificing something. Um, consistency is key. Compliance is the science. As people progress, uh, I'm mostly focused on trying to get them to adhere to the science-based principles. 
rather than getting distracted. I think as you probably know as well, it seems like 90% of what we do now is, is uh, probably have to rein our clients in from getting distracted by all the nonsense that's out there. They'll see something on Instagram or, or hear something or read a sound bite of an article and suddenly think that that's groundbreaking. And uh, what we discover after many, many years of experience is there is no magic. There are no uh, hacks or, you know, special uh, tricks that are going to give you some monstrous gain or take you to the next level. The, the fundamentals, the foundation is most important. So like you said, I pull out a, a, a sheet and I, I, I make a, a spreadsheet with the days of the month across the top and the a list of the things that should be constantly adhered to and monitored. Uh, hours of sleep, I weigh them daily. Um, we look at their workouts. Um, are they getting their meals in daily? And I just have them track that so they can have some sort of accountability as to whether or not the big rocks are being managed. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, I just don't want them to waste time in the gym doing uh you know junk volume uh, as you become an intermediate advanced lifter you really have to to knuckle down on uh you know first and foremost mechanical tension and then gradually growing volume and uh just making sure that every set you do is an effective set or you're just not going to make progress mm -hmm. yeah no i think that's a great approach uh, it, it's it's very simple and i think <clears throat> the thing too is when a lot of people hear this it's pretty intuitive. I think the problem that a lot of individuals run into is they understand what they need to do generally, but they don't necessarily know how to implement it. And that's where usually people struggle. I often hear people lack education on diet and exercise. And it's like, not really. Most people, if you ask them, they know they need to exercise more. They know they can identify healthy foods. They can identify that they should be, you know, sleeping and managing stress. But then when it comes down to actually like, okay, I know what healthy foods are, but how do I construct a meal? How, how do like how do I get that extra hour if I'm not tired? So when when it comes to actually implementing some of these behaviors, how do you go about sort of progressing them from wherever they're at into kind of where you want them to be optimally? That's a great question because you said how do we get them from where they're at to progressively optimize? We don't want to make too many drastic changes right out of the gate to too many things. Uh, I think you set people up for failure uh, if you don't gradually create consistent habits. Some people, when they start programs, they, they try and design this ideal, magical program. And uh, oftentimes, you don't want to let the perfect be the enemy of the good. And the best laid plans not executed are worthless. And so, uh, you know, I. I start say with sleep. I have them set an alarm for when they go to, for when they're supposed to get ready for bed, as opposed to wake up. And then I've got a, a, a little list. Of, and this is a hard one because it's just a matter of, of discipline, really. Are you going to put your phone away and turn it off an hour or two before bed? And that I mean that's probably the number one distraction. And then, do you wake up at the same time every day? Get exposed to sunlight. Do you have a cool, dark, quiet room? You know, is it is it peaceful, or do you have your kids or the dog in bed? In which case, you're not. You know, you're breaking up your REM sleep every hour on the hour when they start fidgeting and moving and squawking. And uh, if you've got apnea, do you have a CPAP? That's a monster for a lot of the athletes, in particular, that we work with that are big guys that are squatting a lot. They have thick necks and the crowds the airway. They snore and wake up tired, and it's a it's very detrimental, not just to their performance, but to their overall health and blood pressure. 
uh, blood sugars, etc. So sleep's the big one. I just, I just, that's why I track it every single day. Maybe get an aura ring or something. And it just, it, as a matter of, of trying to hold you accountable to yourself and start tracking it. The aura ring for me wasn't the information necessarily regarding REM sleep or, or, or stage four sleep. It was how many hours did I actually sleep? And, it, and, it, and when I put that thing on at night, it, it kind of forced me to recognize that there's a, you know, there's a, a goal I'm chaining for here. And, and uh, it stares me in the face in the morning. If it says five and a half hours, I know that's a problem. And if I'm tracking that consistently, uh, I recognize that as being a huge uh, detriment. Cardio is, is another big one. I mean, I don't, I don't prescribe a 40 minute cardio to clients. I just don't, it, it's not sustainable. It's not terribly effective for weight loss. It's not enjoyable. I mean, it's the first thing that gets sacrificed. There's too many barriers to entry, getting in your car, driving to the gym, getting on a treadmill. Uh, so I do the 10 minute walks and I try and attach it to a meal. Uh, anytime you have a regular behavior and you attach something to it, it's more likely that that, uh, that additional habit can be formed. And so uh, eat a meal, take a walk. Eat a meal, take a walk. If you got to get a recumbent or a stationary bike in your living room, eat a meal, jump on the bike. That's what Hofthor does in his garage after every meal up in Iceland, even when it's snowing outside and you can't make it out for a walk. And when you see big guys like Hofthor and Brian Shaw, Lane Johnson from the Philadelphia Eagles has a huge workload. You know, he's training every day for football, still takes a 10-minute walk after his meals. It helps with digestion and blood sugar control and recovery. Uh, so that's the big one. If I could just get people to increase their step count, and we're, we're probably talking about more of the beginners in that, in that regard, uh, but I, I certainly employ it for everyone. And then with diet, uh, the number one method for adhering to a diet is meal prep. Uh, whether you prep or you hire a prep company, that's what all the successful bodybuilding figure bikini girls and guys have been doing for decades. They walk around with a six-pack bag full of plastic Tupperware, and uh, they're largely successful as a result of that habit. And so I encourage people to prep your meals. Then you know how much, you know, you're already portioned controlled. You aren't, uh, you know, running around to a fast food place or getting hungry for something and then grabbing uh, what it is you're hungry for, which tends to lead to overeating just because of uh, food reward. Um, so, you know, I encourage that, that as probably one of the, the primary benefactors. And then just getting more protein in your meals, eating more whole foods, of course trying to get rid of some of the ultra processed, highly palatable foods in the house, the, uh, the snacks and boxes and stuff, and replacing them with low calorie snacks, whether it be a low sugar beef jerky or some popcorn or just a, uh, some fat-free Greek yogurt with blueberries, you know, things that you could use in place of the things that uh, are very calorie dense that you probably over consume. Mm -hmm. So you said a couple of things that I want to touch back on. One of the big things was you talked about awareness, right? Like, so when you bought the Aura Ring, it wasn't necessarily to track how many cycles of REM you got or, or how many times you went through the different stages. It was just about, hey, you know, I'm probably not getting as much sleep as I, as I ought to. And I think that single act alone <clears throat> is so incredibly powerful. And I mean, any, any coach will know this. You get your client, brand new client, to, to start a food journal. All of a sudden, their diet cleans up, even without requesting anything. Yep. You know, and, and anyone who's tried that personally will also sort of know in the back of their head that they kind of did that. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, I, don't, and I, don't, I don't mean to interrupt, but on that note, I have all my clients take a picture of every meal they eat every day and text it to me. And it's, it's not for my information necessarily. It's for theirs. Just are, are you accountable? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean... 
I think that that adds such a huge element because a lot of the times, you know, when you hear people, and this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately, especially when I hear people saying, oh, I've tried diet, you know, I've, I've tried dieting, I've tried all this stuff. I just think about it from like the training perspective. Let, let's just sort of put nutrition on hold for a second. Let's just talk about training. If you train for 10 or 15 years and you train consistently and you train hard, I don't see how any possible outcome could be anything other than just you being super jacked and strong relative to where you started. And so when I hear people who say, oh, I've dieted, I've tried this, I've tried that, it's like, well, how long did you try it for? Like, are, are these little intermittent bouts or are they like consistent all the way through? Because I really struggle to believe that people will consistently diet, like consistently for years and not see results. I just don't, I've never actually seen that. And and so a lot of the times that awareness piece kind of sort of highlights, maybe I'm not doing everything that I that I think I am. Maybe I'm not as consistent as I am. Maybe I'm not as diligent with my tracking. Maybe I'm not as, you know, consistent with how many days of the week that I'm even dieting and so on. So I think that, you know, that piece that you brought up is so incredibly important. And then also, um, I wanted to kind of get your insight on something because I've personally noticed that when I schedule my day out, and this is something that I did get from you, was uh, eating or sorry, going for the walk after meals. So I actually find that I go for about an hour walk instead because I need to get a really high sleep mountain. So I'll like get up in the morning, go for my walk, come back, do about two and a half hours of work because that's usually how long I can maintain a high level of focus for. Eat my next meal, go for another hour, do another two and a half hours of work, and kind of go on like that. Have you personally noticed that any sort of like cognitive benefits in terms of being able to focus better or just sort of improving your workflow and things like that? 100%. And we see that in the research as well. We see uh, when we study, do uh, randomized controlled trials, we separate groups by those that are sedentary. Uh, one group will do 30 minutes of cardio at the end of the day. The other group will do uh, 10 minutes every other hour throughout the day. And the group that does the more frequent movement has superior uh, health outcomes and uh, lower all-cause mortality. So it, it's a significant difference. Uh, the sitting is the new smoking is kind of how it's been referred to. And that even, in, even when you separate groups by the most fit to the least fit, and you just look at the most fit groups, the ones that exercise the most, I should say, uh, even people who exercise the most but move less outside the gym have inferior health outcomes than the people who, ex who exercise just as much but also move more outside the gym. I don't know if I explained that very well, uh, but the idea that one bout of exercise a day or every other day uh, is enough uh, when you compare it to people who, who do their gym workout but then also have more steps uh maybe the 10 minute walks in this instance those people are healthier and, and it, it uh, so it does provide a cognitive benefit a digestive benefit but also a, a health benefit just to move more frequently you know five minutes out of every hour get up i actually had my clients set their clock every hour on the hour so that it, it, an alarm would go off kind of the way i used to set mine to eat when i was a younger man <laughs> and i would eat every three hours on the clock you know and regardless i'd have my tupperwares packed around and, in my book bag at school, I had uh, in college, I had food, I didn't have books. And uh, I, I had my timer set on my watch and I would and I would eat whenever that timer went off. And that, that's, you know, that was my discipline. Set a timer for every hour on the hour and that timer goes off, get up and walk around for five minutes. And you'd be shocked, like you said, recharges your battery and cognitively, it just, it wakes you up. I thought it was interesting. I was watching 
Uh, well, I've known for some time that, that your memory is best, actually, uh, the memories are preserved uh, much more accurately uh, under uh, stress, under, um, with adrenaline. And you notice that, like how, how accurately you can recall something from 10 years ago that was like a car accident or, you know, just something that was very stressful for you in which there was a high level of adrenaline released. And so there is some proposal that, that after a 45 or an hour long study session that you should go take a contrast shower or jump in an ice bath and, and get your adrenaline up. I've seen some recommendations by educators that that, that might be a good way to uh, actually preserve the memory from what you're working on. But uh, you're right. You, we only have a kind of a limited ability to absorb and, and, and remember so much information at one time. And so uh, the breaks are, are great for your health, for your cognition, for your memory, for all of that. And generally speaking, uh, memories, I think it was... Um, um, Dr. Matthew Walker, who's the sleep specialist that was on Joe Rogan and, and has done a lot of uh, podcasts, was talking about how it's not what you, uh, your memory is, is improved by sleep. So the next day you, you recall more information than uh, what you learned that day if you had uh, a good night's sleep as compared to those people who don't. And so all of those things are important. I wanted to back up for just a second because you mentioned dietary adherence. And I think it's really important that that uh, you said, you know, what kind of tips can I give people in terms of complying with uh, each of these different disciplines, whether it be sleep or training or diet. Um, willpower is not a good strategy. You will lose that battle every time. You have to kind of subconsciously get in or get in front of the subconscious. Uh, by the time you're hungry, it's probably a little too late and you cannot white knuckle this. You are not undisciplined. You are not lazy. Uh, you know, but I will say this, that, that the enemy is also the victim uh, in this instance. You know, the, the responsible person is also the only person who can, who can get you through this. So there's a number of strategies that we use, like I mentioned in terms of the meal prepping, putting your food into Tupperware and having it available. But in terms of getting in front of hunger, we do have a, some tools in our toolbox that we can utilize. Uh, and, and that's, uh, and you're aware of these, obviously sleep more decreases the amount of hunger and decreases the amount of hours you're awake during the day at, you know, at which you would have opportunity to just have another meal. If you're up 19 hours a day, there's a good chance you're not going to be able to survive with just three meals. You're going to get too hungry and, and, and grab a fourth. Um, the ghrelin hormone is released when you're hungry at, or when you don't sleep well, of course, which makes you hunger, hungry. Your insulin resistance increases when you don't sleep well, all of those things. So some strategies that we use is to sleep more first and foremost. Another one is to increase your protein intake. We have a, a higher satiety, uh, has a higher thermic effect of food. So you net out fewer calories for what you eat. Every 100 calories of protein you eat, you really net out about 70 because of the thermic effect of food. Uh, some other strategies that we utilize for satiety is uh, more fiber, so more protein, more fiber. High satiety foods, again, we're back to whole foods as opposed to ultra-processed highly palatable foods. We see in research when we ask people to eat ad libitum or at their leisure, uh, if they eat whole foods, they eat at least 500 calories a day less than if they eat ultra processed foods. And so that's just a, a matter of, of, of uh, hedonism and, and the food just tasting better, you eat more of it. Um, there's high satiety foods, boiled potatoes, oranges will give you a lot more satiation than say, 
uh, rice or orange juice. Uh, and so uh, even, even mechanically speaking, how long it takes you to cut and choose steak and how long it takes it to digest as opposed to ground beef seems like a minimal thing, but you can shovel down a whole lot of monster mash. That's kind of why I designed it was for, for people who were trying to, to, to get a lot of calories in. So I blended it with white rice and bone broth and, and scrambled eggs and, and ground beef. So you can shovel in a, a, a whole large serving, digest it quickly and be hungry again sooner. But for people who are dieting in a calorie deficit, I'll use steak, I'll use boiled potatoes, I'll use higher fiber foods like fruit and vegetables, just so they're more satiated for longer so they don't have to white knuckle hunger until the next meal. Uh, eating slower and not being distracted. If you're sitting there watching TV or on your iPhone, the chances are you'll probably sit there longer and eat more. Water is another good one, just in terms of filling your stomach up and expanding the, the rugae of the stomach, which sends the signal to the brain to for satiety. So if I sit down at a restaurant and if I'm dieting, I'll have somebody order like an iced tea and a diet soda and sit there and crush both of them before their food comes. The chances are they'll be satiated quicker and eat less as a result of having consumed all of that fluid prior to eating. So those are just some strategies. Uh, hunger is the number one reason why people fail on a diet. And so if we don't get in front of that, we're, we're, we're going to lose this battle. Um, there is a, a medication that you might be familiar with, semaglutide, uh, which has gotten rave reviews recently in, in it, people having three times the weight loss as a regular dieter. And all it does is it suppresses appetite. It, it makes you less hungry. That's all it does. It's not a fat burner or anything like that. It just, it just eliminates some of that need for willpower and that hunger uh, so that you're not eating as much as often. And so if you can use strategies in the absence of the need of semaglutide, that's fine, but it's a very safe medication. Um, I work with the folks at Merrick Health, M-A-R-E-K, health.com, uh, and they prescribe it. A lot of very reputable MDs, the folks from, uh, 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 who am I thinking of? Oh, Docs Who Lift. Dr. Nadalski and his brother, uh, highly recommend it. Uh, and they're MDs who use it as part of their obesity practice. And so it's just, I don't want everybody just straight running to the doctor and getting a prescription, but I'm just saying that, that what works is satiety and that the idea that you're gonna overcome hunger and be successful with strictly willpower, uh, that's a fruitless endeavor. So. I would encourage people uh, to, to use all the strategies available to you to decrease hunger. So it, it's funny, you mentioned quite a few things there. And actually, <laughs> a lot of the research you talked about, literally within the last week, I specifically made posts on that was discussing that exact research. Yeah. Um, so, but <laughs> the one thing that I did want to touch on actually was uh, boredom meeting and emotional eating that you mentioned, right? Like if, if you're awake for longer, you just have more opportunity to consume more calories. And um, a lot of that is is just kind of out of boredom. Like I've certainly even noticed it for myself. Like if, if I just kind of don't have anything to do and I'm like sort of lounging around, I'll find myself just sort of trying to kill time by cooking things or snacking on things. Yeah. It's definitely dysregulated as well. And some of the research actually, like I've, I've actually had to implement some of these strategies in with my clients where I tell them like, hey, what the research shows is and this isn't me saying this, this is me actually paraphrasing pretty closely what the research says for those who are listening. Um, boredom and emotional eating is typically due to individuals who, or is typically experienced by individuals who experience a lack of meaning and fulfillment in their life. 
right? So it's like, if you're not really fulfilled in your relationships and your job and your social life and all that stuff, there's a higher probability of you succumbing to, to things like emotionally eating or boredom. And so one of the things that I actually have prescribed with a very high degree of success has actually been encouraging my lifters uh, when appropriate to go out and actually just spend more time with their friends. Like I'll, I'll maybe be like, hey, I want you to go with your friends twice a week, or I want you to go for a bike ride, or I want you to do you know something where you're getting out of the house and it's engaging. And it actually works very, very well because then I'm like, hey, how's your hunger? And it went from like a, a four out of five hunger to like a two and a half or a three, which is way more manageable. And so it's it's um, it's definitely something we're talking about. But well, that was that was one of the one of the things I mentioned in terms of just not having those things in the house or having alternatives that are lower yeah. calorie. But you know, the weight control registry has tracked over 10,000 successful dieters for over a decade now and who have lost over 66 pounds and kept it off for greater than six years. And one of the, uh, you know, 98% of them went on a diet. So a plan is better than no plan. They actually did have a diet plan. And that diet has to be something that's compatible for you. It's easiest for you to comply with. Uh, there's no diet better than the other keto intermittent fasting vertical diet for that case and paleo it doesn't matter pick the one that is the least restrictive to you uh most of them walked you know some 90 plus percent of them increased their activity and walking was the number one activity uh and a very large number of them watched less tv and you just hit the nail on the head if you're sitting at home watching tv just out of sheer boredom eating is going to be the behavior that's going to accompany that and so uh, you know, find alternative things to engage you, hopefully some that you're on your feet because the non-exercise activity thermogenesis from uh, just being more active throughout the day is, is hugely beneficial for uh, for weight loss, more so than exercise. Uh, just just getting that step count in, being active. And so all those things are, I mean, you hit the nail right on the head, all those things are, are, are hugely important uh, for, for dietary compliance. And you also said something really important uh, you said, why is this? Why are why am I eating? And a, a good dietitian will ask their clients to actually keep track of that. When you're eating, why are you eating? Are you hungry? Are you bored? Are you stressed? Uh, is this trauma? Uh, because there's a number of different reasons why people eat for uh, to feel better and, and to combat maybe some stress or some uh, trauma in their life. So if you can start to identify these things and maybe address the source uh of of the eating behavior which isn't always hunger uh, then maybe you can learn to cope with that whether it be through counseling or otherwise mm -hmm. and so there are a couple things as well that you brought up um talking about points of friction so uh just refer back to one of the comments you made about when you're eating out so you go out with your friends and you make sure that you have like a diet coke and a water you pound both those back before the food even gets there you know, I think that's a really great sort of concept, not even necessarily that specific example, but just that general idea of like, how can we create more points of friction? Like you mentioned, you know, if you don't have garbage food in the house, it's going to be more difficult to go out and get it. If you don't have skip the dishes, that's on your, on your phone, like the app, it's going to be one more thing you have to do. If you go out to eat with your friends, but you eat before, it's just removing the hunger, at least some of the hunger. Even if you continue to eat out and you decide you're going to eat out, you're okay. almost guaranteed to eat less and do less damage yep. because of that. So, I do that too. I'll eat first and maybe just go get an appetizer. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so I, I wanted to, to, I guess, t I, I wanted you to kind of touch on that in terms of like creating points of friction because you also mentioned 
uh, creating points of friction with with unproductive behaviors relative to your goals. But then you also talked about, hey, we need to make these objectives really easy. You know, so what are these behaviors that we can make very simple? So how do you approach that sort of balance between, you know, simplifying these these productive and desirable behaviors while simultaneously making the other ones a little bit more difficult to access, let's say. Yeah, you know, that's difficult because I actually encourage people to be cautious about how much they dine out. That's where we tend to eat a lot of extra calories. And the calories at those restaurants tend to be vastly underreported on the menus and usually off by greater than 50%. And there's a lot of quote unquote hidden calories in there because they cook those foods in a lot of fat, whether it's butter, oils. Uh, I'll get somebody on the vertical diet who eats a top sirloin steak at home and might yield from 270 to 310 calories, uh, you go out to a restaurant like Ruth's Chris and they melt an entire stick of butter and serve you up a, uh, a ribeye. And now you're talking about 1500 calories for the same side steak. And so there's a huge difference in terms of the caloric intake based you know, on palatability fat, how it's prepared, et cetera. Um, so, and I don't want people to be antisocial, but like, you know, we just discussed, uh, I might eat my healthy meal and then go out and just grab a you know a diet soda or a snack or something uh, at the restaurant. And if I if I am going to have a meal, then uh, I'm chasing protein first uh, and lean proteins at that. You know, generally eating out, you're, you're probably you're talking about chicken salads or a, a you know a sirloin steak salad or something. Try and get lots of protein uh, at that meal and be cautious about how it's uh, how it's prepared, whether it's in a a pool of of, uh, of uh, oil or with butter on top, uh, that can it can be hard to do. And I don't want people to be antisocial, but I'm telling you, those the fast food restaurants and the restaurants in general, if you just just pull up your month's credit card and look at how many uh, how much money you spent and how many calories, and, and just imagine how many calories you probably consumed just dining out at, uh, at at any place that you know, even if it's Subway or uh, you know Chipotle. Uh, look at your credit card statement. I bet it's pretty significant. You might even save money if you used, say, a meal prep service, and you certainly save time and money if you prepped your own meals. Um, having said that, I've had clients who have had to eat out because they're not home all day. They travel, uh, you know, they work on the road, whether it's a, a police fire or ambulance, and they're, you know, 24 hours on a shift or 12 plus hours. Uh, people who, uh, uh, even a real estate agent, you know, a, a mom that takes her kids to school in the morning, works all day out the trunk of her car, and then has to pick them up in the evening and then take them to an event or something, uh, you know, a sporting event or what have you. Uh, I prep my meals in the morning when I'm cooking breakfast for myself and my kids, and I put them in thermos, those little 24-ounce uh, thermos. They're like 20 bucks on Amazon, and I have two of those with me. And even when I'm home, they just sit on the counter. But if I go somewhere, I can grab it, throw it in my backpack or take it with me. And then if I find myself somewhere where I'm, you know, it's my meal time, at least I know I'm eating the foods that, that feel good on me in the, in the, with the macros and the calories that, that I want. If that's not available, when I've designed programs for, you know, I'm going to rat him out here. Uh, I work with John Jones, uh, the UFC fighter. And uh, John kind of likes to eat when he wants to eat and what he wants to eat. And so uh, initially, I send him prep meals, and I, you know, from like, the Vertical Diets, my my meal prep company, and I deliver meals nationwide. And so I, I sent him a lot of perfectly prepared meals. I even made one especially for him that was the right protein, macro, content, and and everything. He didn't eat them. He uh, he he went to fast food places. That's what he enjoys. That's what he's always done. So I had to pull up a, 
uh, the menus of all the fast food places that he likes to frequent and simply look at uh, and try and select the uh, menu items that had a two to one protein to fat ratio. That's kind of my, my go-to. This is true with say high school kids that are traveling for sports. Uh, they don't have an opportunity to meal prep. I mean, it's just not gonna happen. And so I tell them, sure, you can go to McDonald's, you can go to Burger King, you can go to Subway, here's what you should order off that menu. And I actually sent him screenshots of everything that he was allowed to order. And so John, would, I could tell John what to do. Uh, and you know, like you go to Subway and get the meatball sandwich, it's not very high in protein, it's very high in fat. But if you get the steak sandwich, a very different uh, scenario, you get the high protein, lower fat. And so it's little choices like those. At most fast food restaurants, you're probably going to end up with the chicken meals in order to get a high enough protein intake and a low enough fat content to satisfy what I think are optimal macronutrients. Uh, because most of the meats are like a 75-25 beef, which just throws you way out of the, your fats. It's almost like the equivalence of a hot dog at that point. And so I make those recommendations for folks based on their lifestyle uh, so that they can comply and not feel as though uh, you know, they're, they, they just keep, they just give up on it all together because they're not doing it perfectly, you know? So there, there's a couple things there that, and one of the things that's sort of been uh, pretty consistent just along this conversation we've been having has been for most circumstances, really quickly, you have an answer. You have a way you can pivot and kind of uh, continue moving forward in a productive way towards your goals. And the thing, the thing that I think most people struggle with is they see guys like you where they're like, wow, he's nailing everything. He must be so disciplined. Yes, obviously you're disciplined, but you also have years and years and years developing these skills. And one of the ways that I like to kind of talk about the, you know, dieting as a quote unquote skill is we can break down eating or dieting, let's say into its components. We can say, okay, can you actually buy this food? Yes. Can you eat this food? Yes. Can you not eat these foods? Yes. Can you time when you're eating them? Yes. Okay, great. That's sort of like me teaching someone how to jab. If I spend like a week with someone, I can train them how to, I can train them how to jab perfectly. It looks excellent. Anyone who doesn't know them will think that they're a very good amateur. Throw them in the ring with someone and that jab is going to turn to dog shit because now they're having to do it all together while someone's trying to beat the crap out of them. Yeah, Ronda Rousey learned that. <laughs> exactly. You look Oops. great on pads. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And that's kind of how I see dieting. And so I think a lot of the times, exactly what you said in the beginning, people try and take on way too much. But I think that as you start to get better, your tolerance for more responsibilities grows and your willingness to do these things grow because you're just getting more results. You're seeing the benefits. And so how do you go about that process of taking someone who, you know, is just not very good at all of this stuff. They, they, you know, they know what to do, but they're really just struggling to kind of dial all these things in. How do you sort of know when to progress them? At, at what point do you start adding more and more things on giving them more responsibilities, more tasks, more tools that they can utilize and implement? Yeah, it would depend on what their current circumstance was, how many, uh, what kind of experience they already had. I love meal prep. I mean, and it sounds biased because I sell it, but I don't care who you buy it from. It's so freaking convenient and the macros are right there. Generally, a good meal prep company has got a two to one protein to fat ratio. So it's, it's not overcomplicated. And it really is a calorie equation. You know, if you need 2,200 calories a day to, to be in a deficit and lose weight, then I really don't care as long as you get sufficient protein. 
you know, where those calories come from, uh, you know, generally speaking, it's so long as you can comply. And we talked about the fact that, you know, uh, Pop-Tarts are going to be over-consumed as compared to, to high-protein foods. So meal prep's number one, but then also when, when people are traveling, I have a lot of these like little grocery shopping lists or a quick breakfast tips in my Vertical Diet 3.0 ebook, just because those are things that people have, questions people have asked me over the years. I've gotten over 100,000 DMs in the last 10 years from people with questions, and a lot of them are the same kind of cluster of questions. And so I've already formulated answers and updated those responses inside of my ebook, and then I copy and paste and send them uh, you know, I'm probably on my DMs way more than an hour and a half, two hours a day, just answering random questions from people who, had they read my book, would already know the answer. <laughs> but uh, and I just copy and paste. Like for instance, somebody said, "Look, I didn't, I wasn't able to prep meals. I'm on this trip. I'll send them a grocery shopping list from Walmart, where it's supposed to going to Carl's Jr. Just pull into Walmart, and there they've got you know hard-boiled eggs, yogurts, uh, you know cheese, uh, fruits." Uh, everything you everything you can imagine is right there. Just take your cart and go through. And sometimes you can even pick up a little styrofoam cooler and a bag of ice on the way out. And what you don't eat, you can throw in there and take back to your hotel room and have your next two meals. And so there's plenty of opportunity. I mean, there's lots and lots of food at a grocery store that's preferable to what you would get in a fast food place. Uh, it would take you the same time to to shop for that as it would to to eat, you know, go somewhere else and, and have a meal that might be significantly higher in calories. So those are some of the strategies that I use. And, and it just kind of depends on uh, how experienced they are, uh, what their circumstances in terms of whether they're home or away, et cetera. Mm -hmm. No, that totally makes sense. <clears throat> so I wanted to talk a little bit about effort as well. Um, I guess just to kind of wrap things up. So one of the things that I think a lot of the times people are looking for is they're looking for results, but they don't necessarily want to try super hard and even even higher level athletes like i'm sure you're not surprised because you've been doing this for a very long time but i think a lot of people might be surprised to hear that even high level athletes i've trained several who are super talented but just have absolutely terrible nutrition and lifestyle habits yeah and it's like how you're you're that genetically gifted that you got here in spite of all these things and so it's it's really difficult for for some people to understand like or for some people to sort of want to to put in that level of effort you know and there's a bit of a disconnect especially now because now we have this like push for hey we need medication and i i'm not hating on medication i think it can be really beneficial for some people but i also think that certain people will jump to that jump to pull that lever a little too soon you know and um there's this sort of idea of people wanting something for nothing and so you know when you're going through that process how do you sort of help people see that they need to be putting in more effort how do you sort of have that conversation with people to really progress the level of effort that they're willing to invest in order to, to kind of accomplish their goals and we're we're not necessarily talking about just joe blow who needs to lose 20 pounds we're talking about people who are competitive athletes you know, whether it's powerlifting, bodybuilding, strongman, whatever, um, who, who are serious about their goals, but they're kind of struggling and they're, let's say, on the verging into the intermediate stages of like dieting. If, if we can yeah. Well, if it's a professional athlete whose sport is much different than lifting, uh, football, MMA, et cetera, you name the sport, um, oftentimes they don't, they might not really 
recognize the benefit of the training or it, it, it's not enjoyable to them. They love playing their sport, but they don't like the time in the gym, which is interesting to ask the question because just yesterday, Dr. Pat Davidson uh, uh, made a post where he said, look, you know, if you want them to do the things that you want to do, you better incorporate a lot of the things that they like to do and then just try and add it, tack it on there somehow so you can get the results that you want. Uh, you know, a lot of athletes, like you said, that are very gifted, they might just want to go in and do some Pilates. Uh, and you've got to find a way to actually improve force production. That's not going to happen with Pilates. Uh, and so you, you kind of fashion the workout around what they enjoy. So you've got to experiment with a lot of different um, exercises. Uh, squatting is not terribly enjoyable for a lot of MMA guys. You know, we love it, sure. But if you try a box squat with an SSB bar, all of a sudden they're like, hey, yeah, I kind of like this. And then if you measure it and, and then you, you know, I always train with a lot of my athletes so that they could, I can kind of compete with them in a sense. Uh, and at least they can see what they're potentially capable of. Uh, and then they're really happy when they uh, set a PR. It's, it's that's what they want to do. They want to win. So can you create wins for them in the gym, doing things they enjoy that are measurable? And so I try and find exercises that they like, as I just mentioned. Uh, even the posterior chain stuff, such as a, you know, a good morning uh, out of off of pins or chains, is uh, is a lot more enjoyable because you're doing most of the concentric portion, which is pretty important for athletes anyhow to limit fatigue and just give them exercises that that uh, give them a big benefit without tiring them out so they can't do their sport. Uh, that's a that's a big one. I think just making it fun. I do the same thing with the six-year-olds in my kids' power hour every Sunday here at uh, Sin City Iron. I've got kids that are six, seven, eight, nine years old that come in and lift. And if I have them trying to perform a perfect squat uh, with a, a, a broomstick and, you know, have them try and do that week after week after week, they would be very bored. They would never come back. I'm getting incredible feedback. My attendance is 100% every week. The kids are, are like, I love it, and they're excited because I put them uh, under a bar uh, on pins and have them do, say, partial squats, which, you know, I, most trainers would just, you know, they what, partial squats? Uh, it's fun, and it introduces some loading, and they enjoy it, and they'll come back, and really over time, then I just try and lower the pins as they become better at squatting. I'm just trying to get them to enjoy the process. So it's the same with, with me, with athletes. If I can find um, exercises they enjoy. And I find this a lot now as I, as I work with guys that are in their 40s or 50s that maybe lifted at a high level uh, and they keep trying to do all the things they used to do and they're, it's breaking them down. Their knees hurt, their hips hurt, their elbows hurt, they're sore all the time. I experienced that myself. After I retired from powerlifting, I kept trying to go to the gym and do low bar squats. <laughs> Uh, and I was just sore and tired all the time. My joints hurt all the time. I talked about this in a couple of videos, my keys to pain-free knees video, and I broke my back video about the injuries that I was uh, suffering because I was 50 years old and still trying to back squat. Well, here I am at nearly 55, and I finally figured out over the last few years that you can substitute low fatigue movements so you get a high stimulus to fatigue ratio that don't cause you to have brain fog the next day and wake up in the morning trying to take an inventory of what hurts and limp to the shower. I don't do that anymore. I feel fantastic. And I just pulled a 700 deadlift last week.
but I'm prepping for that, not using a ton of heavy deadlifts, but using SSB bar box squats, which don't in, infer a lot of uh, fatigue. I feel great the next day. And again, my good mornings are off of pins. And so I'm not reversing the weight and doing a whole ton of eccentric loading damage. And a lot of, you know, I hate to use the word CNS, uh, you know, uh, stress, uh, but, I, you know, I feel fantastic and my knees feel great because I do three 10 minute recumbent bikes a day, you know, kind of on a hit session style of 40 seconds under modest tension with 20 second rest. I repeat that 10 times, but I do it three times a day. So I'm pumping tons and tons and tons of blood in my knees and legs, all concentrically. So I'm not, you know, breaking down any muscle tissue or creating any fatigue. And I get up off that little biking session, you almost feel like you had a little leg pump uh, and, and my joints feel fantastic. And so I encourage lifters who have accumulated a lot of, of repetitive strain or just loading, maybe tendonitis. And, uh, and I had, I mean, it was to the point where I couldn't do a leg extension and I was limping every day with my hip and my knees were sore, uh, fully, fully uh, rehabilitated. I presumed it was going to be a, a, a permanent arthritic condition because of what I put my body through competing. And come to find out, that's not the case. You're just you're just improperly uh, uh, loading your program is is just is just too hard, uh, too much fatigue for the stimulus. And so, I don't mind doing leg presses with half the weight, but my feet are in and low, and I'm using a greater range of motion. I'm pausing at the base, so I'm not making my tendons. You know, those are all shock absorbers. So I, I'm cautious with speed at my age. I don't want to be absorbing things with my tendons at a fast, uh, you know, with a lot of acceleration. So I kind of deload the stretch position when when I'm able to set up, say, reverse bands or something on a leg press. And if I can eliminate some of the load or the speed when I'm in a stretched position, then my tendons feel a lot better. And I just do a little higher repetition stuff to accumulate the, uh, uh, the, the volume or uh, the... Um, uh, the stress that my, my body needs to, to grow or to get stronger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's a, a really great sort of, uh, I guess, heuristic, you know, it's like, start with, sorry, start with something that you enjoy, make it engaging, make it something that is fun, but then also has some sort of reward attached to it, you know? And then, I mean, like, even if it's something like you were saying with getting more sleep like that, that's something that's real hard for most people, but, when you wake up one day and you're like, I feel great. You remember that, like that's a lasting feeling. And then every time after that, if you keep looking at your phone, you're like, oh man, I'm not going to feel as good. And, uh, and so it, it can be a pretty powerful motivator for sure. So I think that's a fantastic way of uh, kind of evaluating the next step and then where to progress as well. It's like, okay, well, what do you think we can do next? Here are going to be the big stones but there's four of them. Which one do you think is going to be best for you? And then they can kind of select it and be a little bit more involved in the process. Um, this is completely unrelated to any of this conversation we've been having. However, I am curious. Do you know when John Jones is fighting next? <laughs> I don't. You know, Ningano uh, hurt his knee and had surgery. And so that kind of postponed the super fight. Uh, I think he was talking about... Um, fighting Stipe, and then I think Stipe in training had a uh, uh, some sort of eye injury, orbital socket or something. I'm, I'm just I'm just talking out of secondhand information. Yeah. But it just seems like the stars haven't aligned, or maybe they have, because John, from the get-go, said he's patient, he'd love the super fight. He's like, 
I want to be patient. I want to be ready. I'd like to fight Nangano, and Nangano's still undefeated and has one more fight left in the UFC under his contract. And uh, John hesitated and hesitated and hesitated not to jump in too soon with a different opponent because he really liked the specter of a super fight, which that would be most certainly. Um, yeah. John is, is uh, he's made a lot of progress. I spent many, many, many months with him, getting him up well over 250 pounds. Uh, he's faster, he's stronger, uh, he's in great um, condition mentally as well, because you know he went through some tough times there. Uh, and admittedly, a lot of them at his own, uh, at his own fault. Uh, but he's, he's in a good place, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited. He's a phenomenally talented uh, fighter, and I'd, I'd love to see just without any bias i'm just a big ufc fan i just love to see yeah. a big fight like that you know it's, it's exciting to me. i don't see Ngannou winning i just i don't think he's even remotely on john's level the only person that i think would be interesting for for john at heavyweight would be maybe cyril yeah and i also I, suspect that john would probably be able to take him down so i'm like i he's just so freaking good he's so good he really is and you know and he's so incredibly competitive. I was with John for you know yeah. almost a year. Uh, every other week, I, I trained every session with him, worked out with him every day, ate meals with him every day. Uh, I, you know, I've kind of always been that way myself. You know, it's win, win, win. Everything you got to win. But this guy, I mean, he can't lose a single round of anything, even in practice. Uh, and he sought out, you know, some great. Um, uh, training partners to to you know hone his skills i'm you know i'm really pleased with with uh, his progress and and i think that he's going to be as good or better than ever and which is i think bodes well for i think what's going to be uh, kind of one of the biggest fights in history in the ufc yeah man all right well <laughs> now that that's done <laughs> um where where can people find you stan uh, everything Stan Efforting. StanEfforting.com is my website, and that's where I have a link to the Vertical Diet Meal Prep, nationwide meal prep. I'll send Monster Mash to your door and a host of any other 35 meals that we prepare every day. Um, my Vertical Diet 3.0 ebook is over 225 pages with more than 200 references to peer-reviewed pub published research and articles and videos from uh, a lot of uh, very reputable sources all throughout the community. Um, Instagram, Stan Efforting. I post a lot of content on there. And YouTube, I have a lot of free content. My Rhino's Rants are, are I spent some good good amount of time putting those together. They're pretty informative. Rhino's Rants on YouTube is Stan Efforting. Awesome. So all that stuff's going to be linked up in the show notes, guys. Uh, make sure you go check him out. Give him a follow. He puts out a lot of great content. Stan, thanks so much for jumping on, man. Yeah. And I want to conclude by saying that I mentioned MerrickHealth.com. On my website, I have a link to get a blood test, it's only like 125 bucks to get a very comprehensive blood panel. Uh, we talked a lot about athletes and their health. It's one of the first things I recommend to all my athletes, get a blood test. You can do it from home through MerrickHealth.com. Uh, and they'll just email you a form. You go to LabCorp, and three days later, they send you the results. And you can at least have a, a good idea of your, your general health while you pursue your fitness goals. Awesome, man. All right. I'll talk to you later. Thanks, brother.